I've heard a lot about your church from afar, um, from your pastor, and uh, seeing you, following you on Facebook. But it's great to actually be here and see you in person, get to shake your hands. Uh, we're thrilled to be here and have the opportunity to present our vision of our mission uh, and also open the Word of God with you here. Um, I, I was thinking of some embarrassing stories about your pastor, but I'm going to try not to hold them uh, over his head. But um, uh, I was recently in, uh, on the other coast, actually, in Oregon with uh, our Bible professor. And uh, we were both in the same preaching class together. And I think he and I were the only ones who got an A, but he clearly got an A-plus when I got an A-minus. And so if you're expecting a great sermon today... You know, I don't know what I don't know what to say. We're gonna blame it on our professor, but I, I told our professor I was coming out here, and uh, he was excited to hear it. But um, I, I've heard he gets with it. Is that true? Does Pastor Matt get with it? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little more reserved, just personality wise. So I'm gonna try and get out of myself today a little bit and uh, emulate Pastor Matt. Uh, but we're just so excited and thrilled to be here. Um, I'm going to touch briefly on our mission, and I'll talk about it a little bit as I preach today, as we preach on the Great Commission on your last week uh, of your missions month. And uh, missions is my heartbeat, has been since I was really a young, young boy. Um, and uh, God, like the pastor said, moves in mysterious ways and moves us different places. My wife and I have been a part of the starting of a couple churches here in the U.S., and now i um, feeling God moving us to do this church planning effort overseas. As the pastor said, many missionaries today are, for the most part, over the last 250 years, um, uh, missionaries would usually go and leave their home and, and their family and go to a foreign country and stay in one place and try to st- start a church Hopefully God would bless and that church would, like yours has, would grow and, uh, and people would be added to the church and they'd be able to start training men and sending them out. Well, often what happens is that process can take many, many, many years. Uh, and sometimes it just doesn't work um, and people fail. I mean, churches close. That, that, that If you look at the statistics of church plants that actually make it, it's staggering here in the U.S. And you, you are a success story. Uh, most um, often that does not happen. And the same happens overseas. So our mission is to do is try to come alongside missionaries that have already proven themselves and have been overseas for a number of years and have built churches and often built Bible institutes and Bible colleges. We come alongside them to help them train young men and young women to go out from those areas and go especially into remote areas, remote villages and regions that either have never heard the gospel or just don't have a gospel preaching witness in that area. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, And the Bible talks about um, when we learn as pastors, we need to commit to faithful men. And that's what our, our, our goal is, is to commit what we have learned from scriptures to faithful men that will go out to places that you and I would have a hard time even visiting, much less living in. I was telling Pastor Matt last night just about some of the places that we, that I've gone and seen where these national pastors live and they're places that you would not want to spend a night in. And yet for them, it's just, it's, it's normal. It's, it's what they're used to. And so they can go for a fraction of the cost to live in a place that we would have a hard time living in and to get the gospel to people that need it. Uh, on average, uh, a national pastor can live and function in his country where he ministers for 3% of what it takes an American missionary to get there. Um, and, and, and like that, that video said, we, the, the world population is staggering. I mean, it's just, it's just blowing up right now, and we've got to do everything we can with the, the resources and the manpower that we have to get the gospel everywhere around the world. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you would, open your Bible real quick to Matthew 28. Uh, before I forget, in the back there, we've got our table in that back room there, and there's some prayer cards in there, and also some um, um, information pamphlets. Like, uh, uh, In fact, let me show them to you here real quick. So please, before you go, grab one of these and throw it on your fridge. That's where I go often. Throw it on your fridge or, or somewhere else, and you can pray for us. 
Um, I got my wife here in the back, and we are a little over a month out from our son joining us. So we've got a three-year-old over in the nursery, and my poor wife has been driving around this country in a minivan the last couple months. And we're, we've got one more week of meetings, and we're back in Cincinnati for her to have uh, a baby. But uh, pray for safety for us as we travel, and that God would raise up churches and individuals that would support us in prayer and support us financially. And then this pamphlet here tells a lot about our ministry, what we do. We do all kinds of different things with national pastors. We host missions trips, um, we do evangelism crusades in remote places where we bring a projector system that runs on solar power and we show uh, a film called The Jesus Film, which any, any older Christians in here might know that film from the 1970s, but it's been, uh, it's been translated into hundreds of languages and we'll take it into remote places and show that video. And if you go into a village after dark where there's no power and you throw up a projector screen with a video and lights, I mean, you can I mean, just get hundreds of people that will come and hear the gospel and when people start getting saved out of that group, we'll then train a guy and stay, leave him there to start a church, and it's amazing to see uh, what God can do through just very little financial means, but through dedicated men and women all around the world that are uh, just fighting the, the Lord's battle, trying to add to his kingdom. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 28. We'll look at the Great Commission just briefly. Matthew 28. If you would join me on verses 18 through 20, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, just read along with me. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, uh, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the worship this morning. As we think about, as Job said, uh, though you slay me, yet I will trust you, and you do give and take away, and we want to bless your name in the, in the, in the mountains and on the valleys, Lord, and, and it is well with our soul, and that you have taken all of our sins of the cross, and that's why we have the freedom to gather here together in your name, Lord. Father, I pray that you would bless Bethlehem Church as they have VBSs, and as they reach out to the community with the gospel, Lord, that you would allow them to be a shining light in this area, that many unbelievers would hear about the gospel and receive you because of the hard work and the dedication and the faith of this church, and as I see already, Lord, as they are reaching out not only around this area but around the world that you would bless their efforts uh, as Paul said and we look at today bless their efforts that fruit may abound to their account Lord I pray that you would uh, use me this morning uh, Lord just a sinful feeble man but opening up the word of God and seeing what you have told uh, your disciples that has, that has echoed down through the last 2,000 years to us as believers today Lord we ask these things in the name and authority of your son Jesus amen as Christians, we, uh, we enjoy a lot of things. We enjoy fellowship, and that's awesome, right? You get time to get together with believers, and that's scriptural. We enjoyed worship already this morning, and that is awesome. As we sing our praises, hopefully to God, and as a church, as I heard you sing, it is well with my soul at the top of your lungs. It's awesome to hear. But that's not our primary responsibility as believers. And we're called to learn the Word of God and to teach it, and we can understand it better, but... Scripture is not our primary responsibility. Our primary responsibility is summed up in one verb in verse 19. That's to make disciples to all nations. That's our responsibility as a church. That's why you are here today is to make disciples in this area of Baltimore. That's why your church exists. Uh, churches often become insulated where they, they only think about themselves and they don't reach out to their community. They're, they're excited to just gather together on a Sunday and sing and have a good time and see friends. But if that's all we did, eventually the church, churches will die because we have to be reaching out and trying to make new believers of unbelievers, of those our friends and our neighbors and our family and just strangers that we meet on the, on the road or at the gas station as we invite them to our church. So this statement here, is the, the context here is Jesus has just risen. 
So Jesus died on the cross. He was buried for three days. When they came to go to, to see him, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus had risen. Uh, and yet he was seen, the Bible says, of many days of many people. And he gives this, this call to his, at least his disciples and maybe others, other, uh, b- other believers and followers of him right before he ascends. This is the last statement that Jesus gives. And this statement that Jesus gives uh, echoes down, like I said in our prayer, from those disciples to us today as our call as believers. Their courage to go, these disciples, to make disciples of Jesus from followers of the gods and other religions. The authority to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all based on the solid foundation of the words that all power in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Jesus' obedience has just been finished, and we need it. His suffering is finished, and we needed it to atone for our sins. He's just finished removing the wrath of God from his people. He's finished striking Satan with a death blow. He's established the new covenant for his people. It is finished, and because it is finished, the mission begins. What's so amazing about this mission is that it's done through you and me. I love that. Uh, if you knew here today what a sinful man that I am, you probably wouldn't want to hear me preach. Because if you knew the inner workings of my heart, the sin that I battle every day, you'd probably think, man, why is this guy up here preaching? We need to get someone more qualified. And my wife lives with me and now drives around in a car with me every day, and she knows all of the faults that I have. And so I'm sure if she could get up today and tell you the things that I, the, angry, the anger that I have or the, the mean words that I say, you'd probably think, man, what's going on? But you know what? It's awesome is that God chose through his infinite foreknowledge and wisdom, that through the foundations of the world, he was going to use a fallen people to accomplish his mission on earth until he returns. That he doesn't have anybody else to use but you and me. So as we're looking around thinking that we're not worthy, <laughs> no, you're right, we're not worthy. But because of the grace of Jesus, because of the shed blood, because of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, we are God's instruments on earth to accomplish his mission of getting the gospel everywhere until he returns. That's awesome to think that God wants to use you to accomplish his mission. He could have chose anybody else, and yet he chose you as a believer to accomplish his mission. So I want to look at a few things about the Great Commission today. We're going to look at some stats about missions. I see the nature of the mission. Look back there uh, in verse uh, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word therefore, it's linking our authority. Our authority to preach the gospel to the nations of mankind is linked to his authority as king of heaven and earth. Our authority could not come from a higher source. We go because he has given us the authority to, we, to go. We cannot go in our own power. How many times, believers, have you tried to do the work of God in your own power? I do this all the time. Uh, my father raised me to be very independent my siblings. I got my first full-time job working construction when I was 14. I paid for all of my stuff. Um, and I was rich for a 14-year-old. All my friends were getting allowances from their parents and I was making real money but because of that because of that independence I often turn to my own uh, my own hard work my own pride my own strength that I think that I can accomplish God's work on my own terms and that's not how it works we are reliant on the power of God to fuel us as we do try to do his work we can't do it on our own power but because we have authority because we have authority to Jesus and because of his authority as king of heaven and earth we have the power we have the authority to go out into a lost world and to do his work because of him not because of us the bible says for we wrestle not against flesh and blood in ephesians but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places when you go around the world if you've ever traveled especially to the third world you will see often pagan and idol worship that still happens today and when you go into those places you really do have to put on the whole armor of god because you are doing spiritual battle and spiritual work and you cannot do that in a carnal state it's impossible you're going to fail my brother-in-law ministers in ghana west africa my wife and i visited him a couple years ago 
And he's planting churches in this remote area around this large lake. There's about 20 villages. You can only drive to one or two of them. Then you have to get out of your car and hike or maybe take a a bike or something like that down trails to these other villages. He's going around this village preaching the gospel to these people, uh, making disciples, raising up pastors. And these people in this village, they, they pray to this goddess of the lake. And they believe that this goddess grants them prosperity and, and fish, and, and that's, what, that's their deity. And when you go into that area, you can feel a spiritual impression as a believer. As a Holy Spirit-filled believer, you, can, you know that there's something off here. Because these people are praying to a demon. And if you go into that area trying to do God's work and trying to preach the gospel in your own power, you're going to fail. So every, every time, every day that we would go into these villages to try to meet with elders and try to establish churches and, and try to do evangelistic crusades, we would go up to the spot on the mountain and pray, often for like an hour before we went down here. We, we, we knew that we had to have the power of God on our life. We had to have the Holy Spirit fullness with us if we were going to go down there and combat the spiritual wickedness in high places. Believers, as Christians today in America, oftentimes I believe a tool Satan uses, he does not have to go about it in the traditional ways. He uses uh, our, our technology, right? He uses our Facebook. He uses our Instagram. He uses our, 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 uh, our, our, our watching of TV and things like that and we we deaden our senses uh, and we're not we're not necessarily spiritually sinning uh, these things but we're spiritually dead because we don't take time like david did to muse on the scriptures we don't take time to sit alone and be quiet and let let our minds think about god then after so the the re- way we can go is because of his authority then the Bible says, teach all nations, baptize them. So we teach them the gospel, we preach the gospel to them, then we, bat- we, we baptize them. Uh, I, I imagine, I don't know how often it happens, but when you see these baptismal waters stirred, it should be, excite you as a believer to see that someone has moved from darkness to light, they've accepted Jesus as their Savior, and they're not ashamed of it. They're ready to tell the whole world that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the first step the Bible shows us to show that we are a believer, that we follow Jesus. After these people have heard the gospel preach them after they've been baptized we're to teach them to do all things teach them to do everything to observe all things whatsoever i have commanded you jesus said that that's everything that's a loaded quite that's a loaded loaded command right that's not just go preach the gospel that's not just get them baptized it's like hey take this book and teach them everything that's in there every and jesus was talking to his disciples everything that he had taught them for the last three years he's telling them okay all those things that i told you all those miracles that happened all those times i told you how to pray and how to do this how to minister go out and tell everyone and teach them how to do all those things that takes a lot of commitment, right? As Pastor Matt ministers here at Bethlehem, as he tries to teach you the word of God, as he tries to impart the wisdom that God has given him to you, as he tries to push you to the scriptures, not just to his thoughts and his teaching, but to the word of God. That takes a lot of time. But you know what? That command is not only to me to go out around the world and tell, uh, tell believers that, teach them the gospel. That command is not just for Pastor Matt. That command is for each and every one of us, especially as mature believers, those of you that have been in the faith for a long time. It is your responsibility to go to new believers and to teach them the word of God. That is how the church works. Turn your Bibles real quick to Ephesians. I want to look at this. I want you to look at this uh, and, and see from Scripture what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus He's telling them why he has gifted different people in the church, why he has left them there, uh, and, and how we all fit together as the body of Christ. We, we, each and every one of you in this church, in Bethlehem Church, has a purpose and has a, a spot that you can fill. And for some people, it might be getting up and singing on the, on, the, on the worship team. For some people, it might be helping with the children. For some people, it might be being an usher. But every one of you has a job and has a way that you can contribute. And if we all work together and contribute uh, for the kingdom, this church is going to be enlarged and this church is going to have a greater influence around the, this area and around the world. Look at me in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. Follow along. 
So he's talking to the church and he says now, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did, he, why did he gift these people in these areas? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, and then why do, we do, why do we do these things? Why did he gift these people that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive? But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. And this is it. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself of love. That's a lot of words that we don't always use today. But think about how your body works. My wife and I were on the river trip from the place down under, we'll say, the other day. My wife and I went on a, a trip down the Delaware River. It was supposed to be lazy river rafting. It did not turn into that. It turned into a life-threatening situation. But today, as I stand before you, my knees are cracking and creaking. I've got old basketball injuries. But you know what? Your body needs those joints, and the body needs those tendons, those ligaments to hold everything together, right? If we didn't have those things, our muscles would not connect to our bones, and we'd be flopping all over the place. The same way your body functions, that's why he's using that analogy. Paul's using that analogy. Because each and every one of you, maybe you're a tendon, maybe your ligament, maybe your bone, maybe your muscle, but together we all make up a body, the body of Christ. And you have a gift and a calling on your life that you can help and you can use for the edifying of the church. And that's why he has gifted you in that area. So we're to help people not just have an allegiance to Jesus, but to be like Jesus in the way that they live. So to sum up the Great Commission, it's this. Let's go preach the gospel in such a way with such a fullness and passion that people are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and transformed so that everywhere churches rise up. That is the mission. The mission is not for us to be inwardly focused. The mission is for us to be outwardly focused, both here in, in this area and around the world. Then I see the reach of the mission. He tells us to do that for all the nations. And that doesn't mean nations like Germany, England, Ghana, Haiti, and Indonesia. That's what we think of today. That means people groups like the Moabites, the Kurds, the Bengalese, the Cherokee. Uh, I want to re- give you a couple stats here. There are estimated to be 16,000 different people groups in the world. That means they have a distinct culture, language, um, religion, uh, history. Uh, Pakistan alone has 600 different unique people groups. That's incredible. And we, America is a melting pot, but we have definitely kind of molded into a few people groups or even a singular people group. But around the world, many, many cultures keep their own small identity. Uh, the, the video showed that the world population is growing by 200,000 people every day. So if you take, look at the stat. So in 1782, when America sent her first missionary, George Lyle, who was a freed slave, went to Jamaica uh, and was America's first missionary in 1782, the world population was 1.5 billion people. As you look, in 1927, it rose to 2 billion people. By 1950, it was 2.5 billion people. From 1950 to today, it went up to 7.5 billion people. That is, it's hard for us, I think, to put these numbers into our head. But if you take all of the people who die in a given day, all the people who are born, there's an increase of 200,000 people. That's roughly the size of Richmond, Virginia. If, you've, if you're familiar with Richmond, if you've ever driven through there. That, think about that. That city is, is being added every single day around the world. And we are running behind, or we're losing a, a bat, the battle of getting the gospel, of fulfilling the Great Commission. 
Uh, and some of those reasons are because of the way that we have done missions forever, and, and there's a, a finite amount of resources of dollars that can go around the world, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing the mission that we're doing, because we can see that for a smaller amount of money, we can enable these pe- people to reach their own people, that we can empower them, that we don't have to bring our American uh, church culture to them, but that we can empower their church culture to flourish. The number uh, of those 16,000 different people groups, uh, 6,600 of them are considered unreached, meaning that they do not have a self-sustaining church in their midst. There's no gospel witness. That should, I hope that moves us, church, that when we see that, that there are people around the world that not only have not rejected Jesus, they don't even know who Jesus is. They don't have a, 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 a church like we probably drove by a few on the way here that are at least preaching the gospel. They don't even have that opportunity. The number of non-Christians today in the world is 5.1 billion people. 5.1 billion people. Think about that, that, that uh, pie chart there. That we're just that little sliver of Christians. And all the rest of them are non-Christians. Globally, 8 out of 10 people do not even personally know a Christian. So if you took 8 out of 10 people all around the world, only 2 of them, not, not, not that they are Christians, they would, they're the only ones who know a Christian. That's what we're facing around the world. And that's why we've got to do everything in our power to get the gospel to them. Only 2% of the North American church financial resources go to overseas uh, missions work. And then last year, this one, I hope none of us are ever part of, a, of an organization this happens in, but an estimated $60 billion was embezzled from churches and organizations in, in, around the world. That's more than the amount that goes to, to fuel missions around the world. So more money, more of God's people's money was stolen last year than was sent to get the gospel around the world. God forbid we ever are part of a church that that, that happens is. But think about that stat. More money is stolen of God's than is sent around the world. An, an estimated 95% of pastors worldwide have had no formal theological training. 95%. Pastor Matt and I, we joke about our theological education and how after we have left uh, the, the Bible school that we did, that we have had to relearn or, 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 or learn more things or teach our, ourselves. And yet we have such a leg up over most pastors around the world. They have a zeal. They receive Jesus and they're excited. They're passionate. They want to go and win their community often or, or other surrounding villages. And yet without being rooted and grounded in the word of God, they, that, like that scripture says, they're taught, the, the, the Paul's saying, you're tossed like a, like a ship tossed to and fro with the wind. Every wind of doctrine is pushing you this way and that. And false doctrine can creep into churches very easily, especially in the third world, because they, they are not rooted and grounded in truth. And that is one of the core reasons why we have our, our mission, is to engage remote people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ and root and ground uh, uh, pastors in the word of God so that when they are out there on their own in a little village isolated often without power or running water much access to the outside world and they have people coming to them pushing false doctrines that they can say hey no 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 I've got the, the true word of God here and I know, what to, I know what to say I know where this is at then I see the authority in the mission all power is given to me in heaven and earth so many cultures today are still engaging in idol worship and pagan, pagan worship. And we expect a missionary to go into this, these places and say, listen, I know that you've been in this area for 4,000 years, your family and your religion. And my country is less than 250 years old. But let me tell you, everything that you think about who God is or, or what God you serve or how many, they're wrong. And, and I got a book here and I'm going to tell you, you know, that you're wrong. How are we going to do that? We can't do that on our own authority. 
That's not going to work because it's not like here where often you may share the gospel with somebody or invite somebody to church and they have a nominal understanding of Christianity. They know who Jesus is. They, they know a little bit about church or the Bible. You're going to face, we face people all the time that have no idea who Jesus even was. I have a missionary friend in Nepal, which is a country just north of India, and he has a video where he goes around just the streets there in Kathmandu, and he asks people, not, he doesn't witness them, he just asks them, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? And every one of them, no, no, no. And again, it's not that they don't know that Jesus is God, and they're denying that. They just don't even know that there was a historical person named Jesus who ever lived. And it's up to us to take much time to show them because you don't just start with salvation you start hey let's talk about creation that there was one god who created all of this and you got to go from the beginning to the end and we can't do that on our own authority we go and because jesus says that all authority is his and we go because he's commanded us to go then i see uh, our friend in the mission so what did jesus say to encourage you about this mission he says right there look at the the last uh, avert, last words of the verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. These men who heard this call, they didn't really probably know it at the time, although Jesus, I'm sure, knew it because he's sovereign. But they were going to meet some pretty grisly deaths. They were going to go out and spread this message that Jesus gave them to basically all of the known world at that time. And yet most of them uh, met awful deaths. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were imprisoned. They were even crucified. They were hung. They were beheaded. And I'm sure that probably near the end, as they're preaching the gospel amidst great persecution that we thankfully don't have to deal with in our country today, that they probably were thinking of these words that Jesus gave. That right there at the end, that they were thinking, man, Jesus told me, Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Like, I'm at the end right now. I'm awaiting my execution. But I know that I'm going to see Jesus on the other side because he told me I'm with you to the end of the world. There was a missionary named John Patton in the 1800s that was, went as a missionary from England to the island of Vanuatu, which is off the coast of Australia. Basically, if you take a line from uh, Hawaii, or not Hawaii, yeah, well, excuse me, Hawaii to Australia, uh, a diagonal line, they're right there basically in the middle. And it's a very remote place, especially then. Um, the first uh, missionaries went there about 20 years before him. They landed on the island and were immediately killed and eaten. The people were cannibals there. And I think if I would have heard that, I think, you know, I think the Lord's calling me somewhere else, right? Uh, if you heard that just 20 years ago, people were being eaten and not even, I mean, just the first day they get there, they no sooner jumped off the boat than they were killed and eaten. But he went within months of arriving there. Um, and this was at a time, not like today, where we can take a flight and get there and within a day, basically all around the world, um, you know, take a boat, take a few months and sail there and, and maybe never come home or come home every 15, 20 years. Uh, within months of arriving there, his wife gave birth to a son, and she fell ill and died. And then a week later, his son died. This guy's sitting there. His whole life is gone. And I think probably if I was in that spot, I'd time to go home, right? But he didn't. He stayed. And he began preaching the gospel to these people. Evidently, he didn't go very, don't, didn't go very good at the beginning because... He, he says in his autobiography that he evidently said something that made them mad because he's running through the jungle. These, these warriors are running after him. They're going to kill him, possibly eat him. I don't know. And he finds this tree in the jungle and he climbs it and he's just laying back on his back on these branches trying not to move as these guys are running around searching for him. I imagine he's probably thinking his, his heart's beating in his chest. It's probably super loud to, to him as he's just sitting there thinking he's going to die. And they, they didn't find him. And again, he didn't leave. He stays there. He stayed there for about 40 years. And God brought a great harvest of souls because of his faithfulness. But he wrote this in his biography. He said, I would go back to that tree in the jungle any day if I could enjoy the same 
sweet fulfillment of Jesus' promise that I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That even in that spot, that that guy had such a faith in Jesus, that Jesus had called him to do that mission, that he was saying, you know what, I'm going to be there always, even unto the end of the world. That's why people go and risk their lives. Our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that are meeting under great persecution and telling people about the gospel, even though their lives are at risk, they do that because they believe what Jesus said, that I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. They believe that God's command was to them to go and reach their neighbors with the gospel. Do we have a friend like that that we trust? Do you trust Jesus like that? Hopefully not to go maybe to a place where people are going to pursue you and maybe kill you. But do we trust that we have a friend, Jesus, that's going to be with us, that when we go through the hard times in life, that when we go through the times as Christians where we have to be bold and share our faith, when, we have to, uh, we have to, when, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to, to talk to somebody about the gospel or to try to help somebody, give somebody some money, whatever it is, help a brother and sister in here, that we, we trust him. There's a pastor in Haiti that I just met last year. And uh, this guy's awesome. His name's Pastor Janata. He left the Philippines about 25 years ago, went to Haiti. So he went from one third world country to another third world country that is uh, a harder living, really. And he's only been back home two times in 25 years when, when, uh, for funerals. And he's, there was a military coup there in 2006 in the city that he is ministering in. This guy, he's, he's awesome. He's got an orphanage with uh, kids. He's got kids there that are blind, kids that have AIDS, kids that have deformities that their parents were going to throw out, and he, he brought them in. He's being Jesus to them. But he stayed during that military coup. And ever, all the other special missionaries left, and understandably they left because there was the militia trying to overthrow the government. And he stayed, and I asked him, why did he stay? He said, well, man, these are my people. God called me here. He promised he was going to be with me, so I'm going to stay. So he stayed. And right now today in Haiti, right now in Port-au-Prince, the capital, they, they raised the price of gas, where it's going to be very hard for people to get around on public transportation. So people are rebelling, and there's uh, mobs and things like that. And these, this missionary, his two adult children in the early 20s were there uh, doing something, and they got stuck there. And right now there's people, uh, there's killings, there's people uh, burning tires in the streets, and these, their kids are just sitting Hunker down in a, in a in a in their van, basically trying to wait it out, and that's what people do all over the world to get the gospel around. Um, they they inspire me. I'm in awe of these people and their faith. But you know what? They can't. They couldn't do that. They didn't really believe what God said. They didn't believe what Jesus said was true. So, what can Bethlehem Church do for world missions? Really quickly, I'll close up. We're gonna, we can pray for laborers. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 38, Pray ye there for the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray for those missionaries that your church already supports. Pray that God would raise up pastors and missionaries all over the world, that you could see what happens here in your church replicated all over the world. And then pray for the harvest. Pray for those souls who have never heard the gospel. Then you, could, you can support missions, both financially, like you're talking about today. That's awesome. I've been, I've been supporting missions since I was a little kid. I remember my parents, and I didn't want to, but they were telling me, hey, you should support these people. And I remember it was like a quarter a week or, or a dollar a week or whatever it was. It was a small amount. Um, but I've seen that and seen that grow and grow. And as my wife and I, even this last year, doesn't make any earthly sense, but as we launched out into doing missions work, that we've upped our giving that we give towards missions. And, and it doesn't make sense humanly, but it makes sense from a faith perspective, because I see this verse, 
Philippians 4. Uh, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. So Paul's talking to this church of Philippi. He's saying, when I left Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. So he's thanking them, saying, hey, thank you guys at the church of Philippi for taking care of me. He says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, when I was going and planning a church somewhere else, ye sent once again into my necessity. And this is the key here. And I hope that this is, this is my, my heartbeat and other missions that you support. He says, not because I desire gift. So Paul's saying, look, look, I'm glad you supported me, but it's not, I don't want you to support me because I want to get wealthy. Um, Paul, we were talking to Pastor Matt last night, Paul was, was, uh, was mending nets, Paul was doing all kinds of stuff to make extra money, to make ends meet. But he's saying, you support me not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So he's saying that the reason why you're giving for me to, to me is not because I want to get rich, it's because I want to see fruit that abounds to your account. And if every dollar that you give towards the missionaries you support now or towards efforts here around the area to get the gospel or towards that VBS, every dollar that you spend and a lost soul hears about Jesus and accepts Jesus as their Savior, that is fruit that's going to abound to your account. So one day when you get to the other side, when you're in heaven and you meet people that you have no idea who they are, you don't know their name, and yet they're going to come up hopefully and, and say you and know who you are and, and thank you because you you have fruit that has abounded your account because you were serious about getting the gospel all over the world. Then you can support them with words of encouragement. One of the biggest battles I see that missionaries face is loneliness. These people leave their culture, their home. Like the, the family that uh, Pastor Matt was telling me that was here a couple weeks ago. Man, that's awesome. They're going to go over to the Ivory Coast. I've not been, but I've been to the countries right next to it. I'm going to be in the Ivory Coast in two years. And go to the place like that and do testing and research to try and save lives in places that, man, they, it's really needed. But you know what's going to happen when they get over there is they've got their lives here in this area and their jobs and their friends and their family. And they're going to go to a place where oftentimes the only people they may speak English to is each other or maybe a few different people. And they're going to get lonely. And that's what happens. And at holidays, you get 4th of July and everyone here is barbecuing and spending time with family. And they're over there with people that have no idea what these holidays are. And they maybe will go to a, uh, like, in, in, in especially in the Ivory Coast, go to a, a one market and get their meat. And then they're going to have to go to another market and get their fruit. And they're going to have to go to another market and get this thing. And you, you, you go grocery shopping all day long because you have to go to four or five different places to get it. And maybe they'll find some beef, maybe. That's often not the case there. Maybe they'll find some beef and make some hamburgers and try to have a holiday uh, that, that reminds them of home. Man, nowadays with Facebook and email, I mean, you can get their information and just send them a quick note of encouragement. That would literally make their day if you could do that. Then, lastly, go. Be sensitive and obedient to God's call. In the future, church, if you can take a mission trip, whether it be around the world or whether it be down into Baltimore doing something in the inner city, whether it be in a city around uh, this area or maybe around the world, uh, if you go and give of yourselves, give time, give effort, give money, you're going to be invested. Your heart's going to be touched because you're going to see the need both here and abroad and how you can help fill it. And then lastly, encourage uh, our children to be willing to go. I was so excited to see all the kids running out at the at the uh, the, the middle of the service. And the church, my wife and I have been a part of a couple of church plants, and that's how it goes with church plants, right? Uh, which it's awesome here. I see a huge mix, but a lot of times with church plants, you'll have a lot of kids. Uh, like our church, we have tons of kids, little kids, but not many teenagers because we're reaching young families. Uh, but we see all these kids here, uh, parents, uh, believers. Uh, would you be willing to let your children go and serve God? Maybe that's not around the world. Maybe that's down the street or around the country. But it's a tough thing to do. But would we be willing to encourage our children to follow after God? I've got a three-year-old, and I told my wife, man, I don't want her to ever leave our house. Like, she's not going to college. She's not getting married. We're going to be one of those helicopter parents that when she's 30, we might consider letting her go. And, like, maybe we'll have to put, like, an anklet on her, to, uh, you know, uh, and so that, like, know where she goes. 
Um, I like that. Amen. Uh, you know, like that's my personality. That's my, how I think now as a parent. But at the same time, I know that at some point I'm going to have to let her go. I'm going to have to let her get off to college or let her go off and marry somebody. But I also got to be willing to let her go off and do what God is calling her to do. Um, my, myself and my younger brother are both he- going to be heading off to the mission field in the next year or so. And I imagine my parents are probably like, man, we're going to have one guy in South America. We have one guy over in Thailand. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do for family functions? You know, but we have just a short time, church, on earth. Uh, James says your life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. When we look at our life, we like think it's this huge thing. But in the light of eternity, it's just this little speck to God uh, as he sees that we have this short time on earth. And then we're going to spend eternity with him. So what are we going to do with our short time on earth? Are we going to spend it thinking about ourselves? Are we going to spend it investing in others? Are we going to spend it volunteering at the vacation Bible school? Are we going to spend it uh, helping out here around the church? Are we going to spend it, you know, thinking about ourselves? We have just a short time. I would encourage you to take every minute that you can to serve God because we have just a short time. And I guarantee you, when you get to the other side of glory, you're going to be, you're going to be happy that you spent your life serving God. You're going to be happy that you invested in the work of God because it's going to pay huge dividends there. It may not look like huge dividends here on earth. Um, the Bible says that not to lay up your treasures on earth where things are corrupted, but to lay it up in heaven where the, the, there is no corruption. And that's what we should be. That should be our heartbeat as believers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for Bethlehem Church, for their tenderness, Lord, as I fumble through, Lord, a sermon, but as I think about how excited I am to serve you and to see that your great commission be filled as much as I humanly can on, on earth, Lord. I pray that we as a church, as the church, We'll be passionate about souls here in this area and passionate about souls that we've never met around the world. Lord, that you would burden our hearts to do more for you, that we wouldn't think of how much less we can do for you, but we could think of how much more could we serve you, how much more time and effort could we put for you, Lord. And we know that you are going to give the increase, Lord. And we ask all these things in the name and the authority of your son, Jesus. Amen.